Welcome to Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. Well, today's message is part three in our series on cultivating a kingdom mindset. We're actually walking through the book of Philippians, so we're on chapter three. So that works out good. And in this chapter, Paul gives us five keys that we're going to talk about here today. Five. Five keys that we're going to walk through today that are going to help us cultivate the very thing that we're talking about, a kingdom mindset. I want to give you the five keys that I see in this passage, and then I'm going to have my daughter Anna come up and read the passage to us. The first one is this. Paul commands us in this passage to rejoice in the Lord. Paul warns us to watch out for false teachers. Paul shows us that knowing Christ is the goal. Paul urges us to release the past and grab a hold of Christ. And Paul, lastly, in this passage, reminds us that heaven is our home. Anna Rowland, would you come on up here and read Philippians chapter 3 for us? Sure. Thanks, sweetie. If you guys have your Bibles, you can just pull out and open them. If you don't have your Bibles, pull out your phone or whatever. Or you can just follow along. Um, Yeah, but this is Philippians chapter 3. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now, tell me again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Great job. Amen. Thank you, Anna. Well done. There were some, there were some big, scary words in there, so I thought it'd be easier for you to receive them coming from a young, beautiful woman like Anna. So there you go. Uh, as I said, in this chapter, Paul gives us five keys. We're going to walk through these and see if we can figure out ways to apply them to our life. But before we do that, we know we need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand, to learn, and to be able to apply these truths. So let's take a minute and pray, and then we're going to jump into these five keys. Father, we thank you for your presence that's with us even now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that one of the things you do for us is reveal the truth to us, that you open up the scriptures, you help us to see, know, and understand, that you bring conviction of sin and righteousness. That's what we want. We invite you to do that in this time and help us when it's all said and done to understand and know you better. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, so the first key is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, I'm not afraid to tell you over and over and over again. He knows he's being redundant, right? Paul Paul knows he's being redundant because what do good teachers do? They say the important things over and over and over again. If you're a parent, you understand this principle. Sometimes you get it. Don't expect them to get it the first time. Say it over and over and over again. That's what Paul does in this book. He actually says it four different times to the Philippians. But he doesn't just say it to the Philippians. It's a recurring theme in all of his letters. So Paul tells the Romans to rejoice. He tells the Corinthians to rejoice. He tells the Thessalonians to rejoice. He tells all of us, ultimately through the reading of his letters, to rejoice. It's a recurring theme in all of his messages. I guess it's important, right? Must be important if Paul's saying it over and over and over again. But here's the irony about Paul saying it. You see, if anybody had a reason not to rejoice, it's Paul, okay? Uh, Jesus was whipped with the cat of nine tails, 40 lashes minus one. That happened to him one time that we know of. But Paul was beaten five times. Paul was stoned with rocks and left for dead. Paul was shipwrecked in the ocean three different times. He spent a night and a day in the open sea, we learned last week from Pastor Joe. Paul talks about how he was constantly in danger and constantly on the run. He was left cold and naked, he says. Paul had a reason not to rejoice. And yet here he is saying, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, he's saying, look, if I can do it, you could probably do it too. He's not trying to one-up them. He's just saying, look, this is how important it is. This is how important it is. And he's writing it from a jail cell. If there's anywhere you, you, you have a reason not to rejoice, it'd probably be in jail. And yet here Paul is telling them to rejoice over and over and over again. And so Paul is saying, if I can do it, you can do it. He's also saying without saying, he's saying, don't, let, don't give disappointment a foothold. Paul is saying without saying, he's saying, don't let your five minutes of difficulty turn into a a, a day of depression. Don't milk it all day long, right? Don't take five minutes of depression and turn it into five, uh, don't take five minutes of disappointment and turn it into five days of depression. That's what what Paul is saying. You ever done that? Stub your toe, your wife hurt your feelings, and now you're mad and got a cold shoulder for the next rest of the week, okay? That's what Paul is saying. Don't do that. Rejoice rather in the Lord. But I don't have anything to rejoice about. Well, maybe not in you. 
Maybe you don't have accomplishments or wealth or acumen or degrees or whatever. You're not supposed to rejoice in you. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Of course, we don't have anything to rejoice in and of ourselves. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So it's no wonder that he's telling us, you rejoice in the Lord and not in you and your circumstances, your abilities, your gifts, and all those other things. And Paul goes on further to say, this is a safeguard for you. This is gonna help you be strong and fight off whatever's coming against you. Why does he say that? It's a safeguard because in Nehemiah 8.10, Paul knows the word. Nehemiah 8.10 says, rejoice in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength, your superpower as a Christian. Not the joy of your own circumstances, but rejoicing in the Lord is what gives us the strength we need to fight whatever battles we're in. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if that's true, if that's true, then we can be as strong as we want to be. It's up to us to choose to rejoice. And rejoicing is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's not an emotion. But most times, in fact, Paul is is saying all times, if you choose to rejoice, the feelings are going to come. I mean, have you ever seen somebody, you know, try to rejoice without a smile on their face? No, eventually they're going to start being happy. It's kind of like if you you hit your hand with a hammer, if you made the decision to hit yourself with a hammer, the feelings are going to come very quickly afterwards. And (laughs) in the same way, if you choose to rejoice, the feelings will eventually come. But Rejoice is not a feeling, it's a choice, it's a decision. It's a decision. We need to choose to rejoice in the Lord is what Paul is saying. Okay, now the second key that Paul gives us is watch out for false teachers. And we've already learned in this series already that the Philippians were surrounded by all sorts of false religion, false gods around them. And then inside the church, you had people that didn't, they didn't like Paul's teaching, his preaching, his doctrine. So they thought, you know what, let's try to steer his messages in this direction. One of the things that this group of believers was being told, they were Gentiles, and there were people in the church that were saying, you Gentiles need to act like the Jews. You got to get circumcised. You got to do all these other things. You got to follow the rules if you really want to follow after God. And Paul's saying, wait, hold on. No, that's that's not true. These guys are false teachers. You got to watch out for ideas and thoughts and lies like that. Paul's not the only one who says this in the New Testament. Peter said the same thing. Second Peter chapter two, I actually preached a message on this last fall. It's all about false teachers. Moses, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, John, Jesus all warned us about false teachers. We got to be on the lookout. We got to watch out. We got to be careful. Okay, so clearly the Philippians knew who, they, who the false teachers were. But how does that work for us today? I mean, you, you may look around the room and say, well, there's a false teacher. No, probably not in, in the church here today. Uh, let me suggest, let me propose, give you an idea of which false teachers to watch out for, okay? So I see three recurring false teachers in our lives, in the lives of Christians. First one is this is the world, the world around us, the apps the apps, the blogs, the vlogs, the commercials, the things we see on television. We are surrounded continually by the world. The world wants to get what we have, our money, our influence, our attention, and drag us away from Jesus. In the world, but not of it, is a theme that we're told 
to be aware of. God has called us to be in this world, but not deluded by it, not like it, not a follower of the ways of the world. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus and everybody else is doing it, you really ought to do a triple take before you decide to engage in it, right? Don't wait for President Biden to tell you you can't use TikTok. Have I gone too far? No. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, so, sorry, I've gone too far, but let me, let me read you Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, you know what a good substitute for that word pattern is? Algorithm. Patterns, algorithms. Where do we see algorithms? In the apps that we stare at every day. There's a pattern that's being thrust upon us that we have to be on guard against and beware of. Okay, so the world is one of our false teachers. The flesh is another one of our false teachers. The flesh means me, myself, and I, you, us, we, all those pronouns. You know, we are flesh. Very, very dangerous false teachers. You may not have a kindergarten diploma, but each and every one of us in this room has an honorary doctorate in false teaching. How many lies have you told yourself in a lifetime? I'm not smart enough. I can't do it. God's not really real. I'm never going to lose weight. Whatever the lie is, the flesh is constantly telling us things that are not true. We have to recognize that and combat against it. One of the ways we do that is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to talk about next week. The Bible tells us whatever is true, noble, pure, lovely, right, excellent, and praiseworthy, think on these things. Think on these things. That's part of the way we fight against the flesh. And lastly, but not lastly, but one of the main ones is the devil himself. There is a real devil. There are real fallen angels. Thankfully, the Bible is clear. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. If we resist the devil, he has to flee. But so many people don't believe it, and so many people don't resist him. And so he has influence, he has sway, and he has power in those circumstances. You know, this is a real battle. It's not like, it's not like when I was a kid back in the 80s. Uh, I remember one of, one of the brightest moments of my life and also one of the most difficult memories that I have is going to my friend's house to watch the first WrestleMania. I was going to see Hulk Hogan and Mr. T and fight against Rowdy Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff. And I watched this mega WrestleMania event unfold live on pay-per-view at my friend's house because our family couldn't afford it. And my friend's uncle had to come and pick me up and drop me off. And we, we watched this whole amazing event Unfold. It was one of the greatest memories of my life until my friend's uncle was driving me back home. My friend was with me in the back seat. We were talking about oh, Mr. T did this, and then the Hulkamania went wild on this guy. And it was just the, the greatest event I'd have ever witnessed with my own two eyes on TV. We're halfway back to the house, to my house, and my friend's uncle, just so annoyed with us, just so annoyed, listened to us, chatterboxes in the back seat, looks over his shoulder, and he goes, you know that stuff's not real, right? And I was like, what? My friend and I, what? what? He goes, you know that stuff's not real. It's all fake. And just my heart and my friend's heart just sunk to the bottom of our stomach. We looked at each other and rode the rest of the way to my house in silence. That realization that wrestling is fake. This can't be true. You just destroyed my childhood. There is a real devil. Unlike in WrestleMania, there, there, now there is a script. Jesus wins in the end, but we have to do our part to fight the good fate, fight uh, this side of heaven. So we got to watch out for false teachers. 
And the third key in this chapter that's going to help us cultivate a kingdom mindset is just remembering to keep the main thing the main thing, right? Jesus Christ is the goal. Knowing Christ is the goal. Okay, I'm going to take you back to the 80s again. This, is, this makes sense to me. This is how my, I'm one of those foolish things that God chose, right? So this makes sense to me. When I was a kid, we had Nintendo whatever. I don't know the number, but it's when Super Mario Brothers came out, right? So, so for those of you who played Super Mario Brothers, imagine you're playing Super Mario Brothers. You're on World 1-1, and you're slowly beginning to master this game. Over the course of time, you figure out where every coin is. You, you discover all the bricks that can be broken. You find all the power-ups. You even find the secret ways to get unlimited lives. You get so good at the end, you can run up the, the last set of steps and jump so high you land on top of the flagpole. You know what I'm talking about? If you play, you get as many points as you possibly can. Okay, you get so good at the game, you're like, I'm just staying right here. I'm going to play it over and over and over again. You just stay right there on World 1-1. How silly would that be? Because the point of the game is to advance past World 1-1, get all the way to World 8-4, beat Boss Bowser, and rescue Princess Peach. That's the point of the game, right? How silly would it be if you only ever played the first stage of the game and you'd never leveled up to do what the game was intended to do, for you to get to the princess in the same way, in the same way Paul is saying, remember what's most important. Knowing Jesus Christ is the goal of life. The goal of this life is to be reunited with the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, be filled with his Holy Spirit so that we can be like him, know him, and spend eternity with him. That is the goal. That's the reason why we're here. We're not here to break all the bricks and collect all the coins and get all the degrees and have all the success. No, the, the only real success that matters is knowing and having a relationship with him for all time and for all eternity. So Paul takes a moment and just says, now look, I, I've got a resume. He lists his resume, tells him all about his accomplishments. He even says, as for legalistic righteousness, you know, doing all those laws that are in the Old Testament, uh, flawless, the best, perfect, none better, Excellent. That's, that's me, Paul. But then here's what he has to say in verse 7, 8, and 9. But once I met Jesus, I consider all these things, all these accomplishments, my lineage, my resume, I consider everything a loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Rubbish is literally talks about dung or a dirty diaper, something decaying with maggots, just disgusting. You want to get rid of it, get it away from you as quickly as possible. That's what Paul says about all of his accomplishments up to this point. Once he met Jesus, everything changed. Imagine you were walking into IHOP and you see at the main front table by the windows where everybody can see, you see Michael Jordan and he's got all of his six NBA championship rings on. You see Tom Brady sitting there with him with his seven Super Bowl rings. Yogi Berra of the New York Yankees is there with him. He's got his 10 World Series rings on. You got Jack Nicholson and his, his 18 Masters wins. Uh, you got a guy, you've never heard of this guy before, Henry Richards. He's won the Stanley Cup 11 times more than anybody else, 11 times. Michael Phelps is sitting there. You ever seen those pictures with him and all of his, his gold medals? He's sitting there at the table. 
Pele is the only guy who's ever won the World Cup in soccer three times. He's sitting there at this table. And they're just having a discussion, talking about how they got to where they, what they did, or their teachers, who they're apprenticed under, and how they learned what they learned, how they got to be so great. And then, and then right there at IHOP, their server walks up. And their server's wearing a robe, ready to take their orders. And guess who their server is? It's Jesus, right? And in that moment, their eyes are open. He helped them to see that he is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's undefeated for all eternity. There is no one like him. Not only is he great and majestic and holy, he's also good and kind and loving and merciful. And their eyes are open in this moment. You know what they would do, how they would respond? They would run and find some hazmat suits on, get those big tongs you see at the, at the, uh, the, the nuclear power plants. They, they'd go up to their medals and their trophies and their accomplishments. They'd pick them up and they'd take them out to a dumpster. Once they realized who Jesus was and what their accomplishments really were in comparison, not saying those things are bad, but when you compare them to knowing Jesus Christ for all eternity, that's how they would respond in light of all their accomplishments because he is the king, he is the Lord, he's the reason why we exist to know him, love him, and walk in his ways. The great King David said it this way, he's the second king of Israel, one of the greatest kings ever, had all the, all the palatial structures, had all the resources, had a bunch of wives. Uh, he had all these things, and listen to what he describes as the most important thing in his life. He says this, I'm not endorsing a bunch of wives, just so you know. Okay, I'm, not, I'm just saying, this was the scenario back in those days, okay? So he had it all. That's what I'm trying to say, he had it all. The bells and the whistles, all King David's. And yet in Psalm 73, 25, this is the conclusion that he came to. Psalm 73, 25. Who do I really have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He had God. That's the only thing that matters. God is the portion that lasts for all eternity. He knew his savior, his redeemer, his father, his friend. That's what he boasts about. That's what his heart desired. And that he realized was the goal of this life. Jesus in John chapter 17 said this, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's it. That's the point. That's the goal knowing him, having relationship with him for all eternity. And uh, the fourth key that we have here in this passage that Paul tells us about is to make sure that we release the past so that we can take hold of Christ. In verse 13 that Anna read, listen to these action verbs. Listen to the intensity with which he's describing following Jesus. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. These are some intense verbs, right? Some action going on here. Uh, there's some straining happening. There's some blood vessels flowing. And I know this because I recently had a situation where I was in my son's room. He's got a real nice bench press set. I thought, let me get on the, let me get on the rack and throw some lightweight around. So I'm home by myself. And I, I know pretty much what my max is. I'm, I'm on the bench. I've, I've got some weights on. I'm not going to tell you much. I, I, I don't want to embarrass anybody else here in this room. But I have some lightweight on the bar. And I get four reps up pretty good. Like I'm feeling good. I think I got a fifth of me, right? And so my son's, my son's 
rack has got these arms where if you're, you know, you could do it by yourself or you don't have a spotter, it's okay. You get down to a certain point, these arms, they, they, you put them on and off, these arms that are gonna catch the bar if you can't get it back up. So I know I'm okay, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna hurt myself here, but you know, halfway through rep number five, I'm like, ah, I, today's not my day, it's not gonna happen today. I bring it back down to my chest, which is usually where I start to feel the weight lift off because the arms are there where the bar's coming down. But the weight just keeps sinking further and further and further on my chest. I feel like all of a sudden I've got an elephant sitting on my chest. I look to the right and, and I'd forgotten to put the arm on this side. I look to the left, no arms to save me, no people to help me. I was on my own with too much weight on my chest, okay? So I started straining. I started pressing. The, the, the veins in my neck and on my forehead were popping out. I thought this is my last day on earth. I was like, well, I... <laughs> I started, with as much strength as I had left, I started rolling this weight from my chest where I thought I was about to stop. Got it down to my rib cage. I thought I was about to break all my ribs because it was that much weight. And then I just kept rolling it down to my belly button. I thought I'm gonna pop my spleen and my liver and my guts all the way. God spared me. I just, I managed with all the strength I had. My face is so red and my muscles were spent. I managed to lean the weight bar to one side and then scoot off to the other side and save myself. Thank you, Jesus. Now he saved me, but I strained, I pressed, I fought for my life. And that's the kind of language that Paul is using in this verse, right? That's what he's talking about. Now we don't strain and press and struggle and fight for our salvation. That's already done. Only Jesus could do that. But to know him, to know him better, to know him well, he's left that up to us. We can know him as much as we want to know him. Paul is saying, give it all you got. It's worth it. It's better than anything else to know him. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, Paul, he's also reminding us, you can't, if you're going to go for God, you can't live in regret. Remember, this is a guy who held the coats and the jackets and nodded his head as the first martyr in the church, St. Stephen, was stoned to death. And he's like, yep, that's a good idea. I approve what you guys are doing. Let me help you here. That was the same Paul. He chose, I'm not gonna live in regret. I'm not gonna regret all the time I wasted being excellent and perfect in the law. I'm not gonna regret the last 30 years of my life. I'm Instead, I'm gonna let that go. I'm gonna grab a hold of Jesus with both hands. Paul's not gonna live in regret. He's not gonna kick himself for the things he's done in the past. He's moving on. Another great example of this, how Paul responded, is Elisha in the Old Testament. So Elisha is one of the, the uh, famous prophet, and he was mentored by Elijah. Now, God spoke to Elijah and said, I want you to go find Elisha. He's going to take your place. You're going to come up to heaven with me in the fiery chariots. You're not going to die. He's going to stay and take your place. So Elijah goes to find him, calls him, and says, follow me. And Elisha's in this difficult spot. He's in the middle of plowing his vast amounts of fields with all of his servants and helpers and 12 yoke of oxen. That's like having 12 Peterbilt diesel trucks ready to work, okay? So that's where Elijah finds him. But what does Elisha do? We read in 1 Kings chapter 19, because he had a heart for God. When he got that call to follow Elijah, he knew that that was what he was supposed to do. Now, this isn't for everybody, but this is his story. And this is how he responded to God calling him on. He wanted all of God. And this is what he did. He took the 12 yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned all the equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his personal attendant. He went from 
CEO to assistant to a crazy man, okay? Elijah didn't, Elisha didn't take his wonderful business and try to sell it and get some residual payments to support his ministry later, right? He didn't sell his business and give the money to the church. He's like, I'm burning all my blessings and I'm burning all my bridges. I'm not leaving any room to go back. That's what Paul is saying. What Elisha did as an example for us, let it go. Grab hold, not just with one hand, but with both hands. Have you ever been on a zip line in somebody's backyard? You, you, can't, you can't do the zip line in the backyard with one hand and hold your friend with the other. You gotta, you gotta hold on with both hands because you don't know how hard it's gonna hit at the end. You gotta hold on with both hands. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Elijah understood. Elijah was a crazy man. Elisha followed him, became his personal assistant. In the same way, we've gotta let go of the past and take hold of Christ. Whatever we need to repent of, repent and leave it behind. Whatever we need to forgive in the same way, you can't drag it with you and hold on to Jesus. You have to be able to forgive, to release whatever was done to you. You have to let it go, Paul is saying, so that you can grab hold of Jesus with both hands. Our life, our focus, our desire, and our goal should be singular. That is to know Jesus Christ and spread his message wherever we go. Verse 15, Paul says, all of us who are mature should take the same view of things. We've got to release the past and take hold of Christ. And Paul in this passage gives us a fifth key. This fifth key is going to help us develop and cultivate a kingdom mindset. He reminds all of us and all of his readers that heaven is our home. Verse 14, God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is speaking to the Philippians. Philippi was a colony of Rome. As a colony of Rome, they all had citizenship in Rome. They enjoyed the same rights, privileges, and benefits as citizens of Rome. They were proud of their culture. They were proud of their history. They were proud of their language. They were proud to be Roman citizens. But guess what? So was Paul. Paul of Tarsus, another colony of Rome. Paul had the same citizenship. So he can say face to face, look, that needs to be left behind. You need to see yourselves as followers of God, as citizens of heaven before anything else. Because ultimately Jesus, as citizens of heaven, he's coming to escort us back to the place where we belong. We are children of Abraham by faith. Remember Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, leave the country you're in, your people, your father's household, and go to a place I'll show you. Just, just get going. Just, I'm not going to give you the address, the GPS coordinates. Just go. This is a foreshadow for us. Abraham didn't belong in that place any more than we belong in this world. God is letting us live out our faith to take as many people with us as possible. But he is coming again. He's coming to escort us back to our heavenly dwelling, our eternal place. And we are sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. Hebrews 11 says this, all these people, the ones who live like Abraham by faith, were living by faith when they died. They admitted they were aliens and strangers in the world. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. And that is great news. There's no visas that we have to apply for. There's no tests that we have to pass. There's no passport needed to get into this heavenly kingdom. There's one qualification. That's this. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, 
that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's, that's it. That's how you become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 21, three says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Whose voice do you think that was? What is Jesus? Jesus is the word of God. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That's how you know your pet's gonna be there in heaven, okay? Because how could there be no crying and no tears if your pet, anyway, that's another subject. I could be wrong. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Amen and amen. I can't wait for that glorious, wonderful day. And this is my last, the last part is my favorite in this passage. Verse 21, Jesus, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I'm really looking forward to that, especially after last week, I was outside doing some yard work, had my shirt off, soaking up the sun, you know, I was getting ready for summer. And my daughter, Chloe, she's seven. She was sitting there next to Jane uh, inside the house, looking through the windows, just watching me work. You know, it's one thing I love about my, about my family. They love work. They love it so much. They watch me work all day long. <laughs> And so they're watching me work and Chloe's just kind of noticing me from a distance. And she looks at her mom and said, daddy's kind of chunky. And Jane, of course, told me about this to encourage me. And she, really? Daddy's a little chunky. I, you know, I, you know when we go to Jason's Deli today. I'm going to the salad bar. I'm glad that one day I don't have, I don't, I can't imagine Jesus had a chunky body. Maybe, I don't know. Chunky bodies are kind of in, right? But I've had contacts for 20 years. I won't have to deal with that anymore. You know, I have dear friends I know and love that are in this church that can't walk straight, that haven't seen their entire life, that are battling cancer. And we pray and believe and ask God to heal completely. And we know he will. I've seen Daniel Thompson healed so many times. I can't even tell you. And yet not every healing prayer is answered. I don't understand the whys, but I know that ultimately death is the final healing when he makes all things new and we're restored to be with him. And we get that heavenly body that the Bible promises. I, the Bible doesn't tell us everything there is to know, but it does tell us what we need to know. And apparently we need to know that we get a heavenly body when we get there. And I can't wait, it's gonna be fantastic. Okay, so the five key takeaways, just make sure we, we got one of these is for us. They're all for all of us, but there may be something the Holy Spirit wants to really highlight for you before you leave today. So as a reminder, Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Paul warns us to watch out for false teachers. Paul tells us again and again that knowing Christ is the ultimate goal. That's the number one thing. Paul urges us, hey, if you're gonna go for God, you gotta release the past and grab a hold of him with all your strength, all your energy. And lastly, the great news, it's like the, the, the whipped cream and the cherry on top of all the vegetables. Heaven is your home. You belong there, not here. Don't get too comfortable because he is coming again. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand together, everyone. This is one of my favorite quotes. I heard this a couple weeks ago. I actually heard it for the last 20 some years working with Pastor Joe and Pastor Nancy. Pastor Joe said this, 
If good preaching could change the city of Dallas, it would have been changed a long time ago. We got some of the best preachers and teachers and leaders in the world right here in the Metroplex, and yet there's still a bunch of lost people, still a bunch of hurting people, still a bunch of people that need healing and need Jesus. So it's not about the information we hear, it's about the information that we know, that we believe, and that we understand, that we apply to our lives. And without the help of the Holy Spirit, that's not even possible. So we're gonna just take a minute and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show us something, one thing, something we can take away today and apply to our lives. It's gonna help us, like Paul says, to grow and mature and become more like Jesus. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing such an excellent job of convicting us of sin, of righteousness, of encouraging us. We give you place. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to me personally, to us individually, and speak to us corporately. Help us to apply the truths that we're learning today. Show us that there's something specific that we need to make a change in or grow in or adjust in our lives. And we say yes to you. We want to follow you, love you. We want to have the same kind of passion for you that David did, that Paul did, and the other greats of the faith do. Help us. We need your help, and we thank you in advance for it in Jesus' name. And verse 15, Philippians chapter 3, I press on, Paul says, to the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. All of us who are mature should take a view of these same things. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for coming. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. And come back next week for the last and final part, chapter four of Philippians. We'll see you then. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas.